0: Florida State doesn't want to be in the ACC. Big Ten or SEC, where should they want to go?
1: You are Locked On College Football, your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: To another episode of Locked On College Football, I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your daily source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth, realignment, portal, carousel, and more. We've got it all right here. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit fanduelcom slash locked on to get started brian brian smith is with me not in a recruiting capacity per se on today's show but as the host of locked on seminoles to talk about florida state because brian they've made it very clear they want out of the acc they want to make this move they're trying to raise money they're doing all this sort of stuff they're working on maybe a settlement with with the acc but where are they going to go if they actually get out of the atlantic Coast Conference?
1: Everybody thinks it's going to be the Southeastern conference. That could be the big 10 is certainly an option. Obviously they're both competing and that's a brand and it's a brand in Florida. It's a brand that the big 10 would, it's crazy as it is not like the big Ten's not afraid of anything. They like got New York to LA. Now they would be across the country because Chicago all the way down to the state of Florida too. It would be interesting to see who it would offer, but I still think it would be Southeastern conference and I don't think it would be Florida State alone for the ACC.
0: Who do you think would go with them?
1: Clemson is the most likely. They're the most SEC-style football. Pro, I mean, they won two two titles for a reason. Yeah, you know, their defense, the defensive line recruiting. They're the one school that goes into Alabama randomly and just takes kids away from Mike Saban. That that's you know, if you can do that and recruit well, that that gets you to the national championship level. And also, I think that Clemson is just ready for something different. They've never been a great basketball program anyway, so the ACC doesn't have as much appeal to them, and not that it does for Florida State either in basketball. So leaving and looking for a different money opportunity for both those schools makes sense.
0: So the SEC and the Big Ten, of course, have to extend an invitation should – this all blow up so let let's say that florida state's apparent dream scenario comes to pass and they're able to make it work financially to where they would at least you know break even over the course of a period of time until maybe the next media rights contracts are negotiated in the early part of the next decade we are in 2024 so it's closer than you think but still uh, quite a long ways away would the sec go out and add florida state is that a program that they look at and say yeah we want to add them to our conference as they've already brought in texas and oklahoma would they look at florida state and clemson as two schools that well these are just can't miss opportunities as universities the region that they're in the caliber of their football programs television appeal everything like that are they that much of a can't miss opportunity in your view
1: it's that in combination with the same thing as it is in recruiting. If you miss on a prospect, that sucks for your roster. But when you miss on a prospect and he also goes to your rival, it really sucks. Where are they going if they don't go to the SEC? The Big Ten? So it's, it's kind of like you're almost forced, especially because they're local. I mean, Florida State is between Auburn and Florida, University of Florida. Like it's right in the middle. So there's a lot of ways to look at this. Geographically, it just makes sense. Clemson is right on the edge. It's like 15 minutes from the state of Georgia. They're only like an hour and a half away from Athens, if even that. Think about the natural rivalry there. So there's a lot of key parts to it. And then the money and the brands. I mean, Florida State's won a national title in 2013. Clemson won 16 and 18. They've both been in the playoff or been in this whole scenario of being competitive for years and years and years and they're in your backyard you no know espn you know fox you know cbs all of them would like to have them you can take a chip away at cbs while you're doing all that it's kind of a no-brainer now that doesn't mean that the people that are head coaches in the sec would like it i'm talking about administrators <laughs> let's be very clear those are two separate entities altogether
0: well something that i i've said for a while that i'm going to have written on my gravestone just so everyone that's possible can understand is presidents vote on realignment not athletic directors not head coaches and and not fans that's how you have oregon state and washington state left behind cal and stanford are in the acc and florida state once upon a time was for a brief moment in time an ally of oregon state because they cited in their lawsuit against the acc that they had missed the whole point of realignment because well it's about football and you got to build the best football conference and you have been derelicting your duties by adding Stanford and Cal instead of Oregon State, because Oregon State's been better. Fact check true, by the way, over the last uh, several seasons in college football. Stanford has been a mess. They're rebuilding. They've got a new head coach. Oregon State had their first 10 win season since 06, and they've been a, a Pac 12 contender for the last couple of years. Now they go into a Mountain West plus schedule, and things are certainly different there for Oregon State after all of this, but the point still stands there. But here's something I want to, I want to come back to with regards to Florida State. If this were still the four-team playoff, a lot of things would be different, including how I think Florida State should view this entire situation. Because if you go undefeated and are a conference champion in the Big Ten of the SEC, you're not getting left out of the playoff. That can happen in the ACC. Now, the counter to that argument is if Jordan Travis gets hurt and you're undefeated in the SEC of the Big Ten, you're probably not, though they did play Florida, you're probably not going to be able to go unbeaten in those conferences quite as easily depending on the schedule, who you play in the conference championship game. But in the 12-team era, is it misguided or appropriate in your view for Florida State to pursue going to the Big Ten of the SEC where they're far more likely to be going after at-large berths, which are, again, subjective evaluations of their schedule compared to being in the ACC where you have a better chance to win the conference title, and get a, an automatic berth and one of the top four seeds.
1: I think this is where it gets really dicey. Florida State fans feel like the ACC's admin didn't support them. This is where this all spurned from, in my opinion. Um, when it came to Travis getting injured and them not getting in the playoff, I didn't think they should because I knew they'd get stomped, and I know people in Tallahassee that coach knew they weren't going anywhere. Just is what it is. That being stated, you're right. How many teams go undefeated in the SEC? It's like there's like one, two, three schools that ever really do it. LSU, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, that's about it. And those schools are really good. If you're going to get an at-large, that's great, but you're probably going to be a 7-12 to 12 seed. But if you're at Florida State in the ACC and you go 12-0, and 11-1, and, and you lose a three-point game to Florida or something in the swamp, okay, you're probably going to be 4, 5, 6, somewhere in there. So the only other thing with this is they think they're going to make more money and that could make up for it. Maybe they get better coaching. Maybe they get better recruits. I don't know. But a lot of it's just pride. Uh, from covering Florida State, their fan opinion on this is not very good, which is typical. Fan is short for what? Fanatic. It's it's a linear view, not a broad one. So, unfortunately, I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk in some ways because while you could have a great team like the, like the 2019 LSU team, for the love of mankind. There was no defensive secondary that wanted to face them. It is because
0: nobody could stop them.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Like nobody wanted to. The point is still the same. However, you gotta have a team like that. So I I look at it like this Florida State will be good because where they're located, the history of the school, like Norvell's a great coach, but going into the SEC, assuming that I am correct, and that's what it would end up being, is not a slam dunk. You could be a kick butt team and go eight and four. If you have a couple of bad bounces, it is legitimately a possibility. And on top of it, just I always say this, the most important thing with any football game is always the same, and it sucks, but it's never going to be different, and that's injuries. You have a, just a slight problem at one or two spots, it can, it can just go right downhill. That's why Georgia didn't end up in the playoff. They had a third-team linebacker playing against Bama on that wheel route that went just complete bust. It was a true freshman. Ironically, he's from Tallahassee, Florida, but that's a sidebar. The point is still the same. You're just always one play away from just being out in the SEC. Georgia went undefeated and didn't make it. So do you really want to jump into it? Think broadly here. Don't use your fandom to think. And I know they won't, but that's just reality. Be careful for what you wish.
0: Coming up next, Notre Dame factors into this conversation far more than you are realizing right now. But first, today's episode of Locked On College Football is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to turn your car into the mvp and bring home that win keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com ebay guaranteed fit only available to us customers eligible items only exclusions apply if florida state comes available the big 10 could dominate the realignment landscape going into 2024 how well Florida State wants to be a part of the power too and you heard Brian Smith talk about why they might be a better fit in the SEC and regionally that's the case but we we're in 2024 right let me let me check my imaginary watch okay yeah it says we're in we're in calendar year 2024 regionality in college football has much to my chagrin been tossed to the wayside it is unimportant doesn't matter Just do whatever is in your best interest here. So, if Florida State were to leave the ACC, you know what the Big Ten should do? The Big Ten should go and pursue them as hard as they possibly can, and then they should finally convince Notre Dame to join a conference. Is Notre Dame going to do that? No. I mean, but before stepping down, Jack Swarbrick has uh, ensured that Notre Dame will be a part of the NCAA twenty-five, or sorry, the EA twenty-five college football game which is perhaps the most important thing he's ever done in his entire life is everything that he can to ensure that that game is as great as it can possibly be because we have all waited a long, long time for that one, like Sirius Black and Harry Potter and and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So I think that for, for Notre Dame, they can be an interesting piece in the realignment landscape. Because if the Big Ten wants to make another power move, if the Big Ten wants to assert themselves as greater than the SEC, getting Florida State to expand your geographic reach and have schools on the East Coast that are not bottom dwellers like Maryland and Rutgers. I am sorry, Maryland and Rutgers, but when eight-win seasons are things to massively celebrate, which they are for those schools, that's when you know, eh, okay, probably not top top tier programs there. I hope I'm not breaking any news. If you go east and pick up Florida State, if you get Notre Dame, which is the most valuable television commodity that's not in a conference right now, That would be the power move of all power moves in the realignment landscape. Now, the trick here is convincing Notre Dame that they should go into the Big Ten or getting them into the Big Ten because there are also clauses and contracts and arrangements between Notre Dame and the ACC. And the ACC, if Florida State were to leave, might want to have Notre Dame fill that spot. And the carrot that can be dangled in front of Notre Dame by either conference is you can't be a top four seed in the college football playoff in the 12 team era if you're not a conference champion and Notre Dame will never be a conference champion if they're not you know in a conference so by rule and these are rules that they have agreed to which is curious to say the least but I do I think understand the reasoning I'll get to that in a moment they cannot have a bye in the 12 team playoff they can't be one of those top four teams Now, we don't know what the college football playoff is going to look like for 2026 and beyond. Remember, nothing, nothing has been formally agreed to, signed, nothing of the sorts for 2026. All we have is a playoff structure of five plus seven for the next two years, a television contract with ESPN for the next two years. There's nothing else. They could change the number of teams. They could change the number of automatic qualifiers. They could change, they could change all sorts of things. That's going to be left up to the college football playoff committee. We don't know how they're going to view certain leagues and conferences. We don't know what they're going to do with the Pac 2, Pac 12 and whether or not that league rebuilds out there. We don't know any of it. So Notre Dame agreeing to this structure and saying, yeah, okay, we'll just never be able to play a top four or play to a top four seed. We'll never be able to get one of those buys makes me think that they just want to have another game on campus and they feel really good about their chances to bring in more ticket revenue and television revenue by playing extra games there and we we know about Notre Dame's television contract situation it is the most unique in all of college football for anybody that is out there and so if Notre Dame is looking at this saying ah you know we want to have another home game cuz you know what you make on a home college football game a few million bucks Ticket sales for a playoff game. Oh boy, you can jack up those prices a little bit more luxury suites. Those are kind of pricey parking concessions and television and everything merchandise, everything involved with that, that could be where Notre Dame is looking because if you go 12 and 0, if you go 12 and 0 and you play Notre Dame schedule every year, they always have a quality schedule, right? They play USC every year. They've played Ohio State recently. You know, back when Stanford is good, those games were really big, but they play Stanford all the time. Like, they put together what you would consider a power four schedule. It is a high-quality college football schedule every single year. It's Notre Dame. They can do that. But if Notre Dame were to go 12-0 and 0 and have a zero, not a one, not a two, not a 3% chance, a 0% chance of making a top four seed to get a bye in the first round, well, they might look at it in two ways. Number one, we want to have the revenue come into our athletic department via a home football game, and we want to host because certainly, if they were twelve and zero or eleven and one, they'd have a good chance to be a top seed in the top four college football playoff, or in the top uh, twelve of the college football playoff, the expanded version, of course. So they could they could look at it from that perspective. They could also see, well, we already had a buy. We already had a buy because we we're, we're not playing in a conference championship game. Maybe that's the way they view it. I'm not entirely sure, but this question as everything consolidates, Notre Dame's individual brand power has remained. Can you assure me right now that it's going to have the same level of weight, power, influence, television appeal, and everything of the like in eight to 10 years? I don't know that you can assure anything eight to 10 years down the road when we don't even know what the playoff structure in this sport is going to be in two, three, if you're saying one year from now is 2024, but we're in calendar year 2024 anyway. Two years from now, (laughs) we don't know what that playoff structure looks like. We don't know all the details. We don't know the television deal or anything. And so I wonder if Notre Dame becomes concerned about not playing in a conference. And the drawbacks that that has and the limitations that that can put on their schedule it can be an opportunity to bolster your resume it can be a chance to get into the top four it can be a chance to you know play a big game in in that sort of situation it wouldn't be a home game of course because they're played at neutral sites but that's where i wonder if notre dame comes into the picture here because if florida state ends up leaving the acc well yeah you ask who, who goes with them and where do they go But if the big 10 wanted to be aggressive if the big 10 really wants to look at the sec and say okay we we want to be above the sec we're the power two conferences in the country everybody understands that but we want to we want to separate ourselves that's what we want to do well that'd be a move to do it you add florida state you add notre dame and suddenly notre dame is looking like the fourth or fifth best program in your entire conference yeah it'd be a pretty a pretty big addition here now Would they make this sort of move? The alliance, I don't know if we're going to use the word alliance, but shall we say the joint venture of the SEC and the Big Ten to try and find solutions to college athletics, things like NIL, the portal, compensation, revenue sharing, and the like, and and many, many more issues, by the way, leads you to believe that the SEC and the Big Ten are not going to make a move that would undermine each other. But they're not calling it an alliance because if it were an alliance, then it would be ripe to undermine one another as the Big Ten swooped not one, not two, not three, but four schools out from the Pac-12 after forming a supposed alliance along with the ACC a, a couple of years ago. Boy, what an infamous day that turned out to be in the college football world. So I don't know what the SEC and the Big Ten are thinking here, but I can't escape that thought, hence why I'm discussing it here on the show, that... Notre Dame has to play a role somewhere. Someone has to ask the question when you have a television brand, that powerful and television is driving in large respects, everything that we are seeing in college sports, it's all there. It's all there. And television is at the root of all of it. And one of the biggest television products in the entire country isn't a part of a conference as everything continues to consolidate. I just don't know if that lasts. And so, if the Big Ten wants to be aggressive, if the Big Ten wants to make a move, you wait for Florida State to get out of the ACC. You say we don't want anybody else from there. We'll take Florida State and Notre Dame. Yeah, that would be a power consolidation into the Big Ten. Speaking of the Big Ten, one of the schools, the first school really they added as a uh, as a power move in the realignment landscape was USC. I don't like USC over seven and a half wins. I love USC over seven and a half wins. I also love FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. You can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, all that and more and you can get your college football gambling fix over there as well. Everything you need. Win totals for every Power 4 school. Yep, those those are up there right about now. Heisman nods. Yep, you can get those national championship. Oh yeah, individual games you can bet Individual games, including the first of the season for the team I'm about to talk about talk about. That's USC. They're a six point dog in Las Vegas against LSU. That's curious to say the least. Visit Fandle.com slash locked on, head over there and shoot your shot. Fandle.com slash locked on. Fandle official sportsbook partner of the NBA. USC's win total is seven and a half. Give me the over seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Why? USC has made the right moves this off season. And I am a person who holds the very hot take belief and generalized opinion that when you are a team that has a weakness in one season, but shows encouraging signs in other areas with regards to your team or program writ large, and you go into an off season and you attack those weaknesses in ways that make me believe it's going to be better. I I like to pick those teams to do well. So far, that philosophy has been pretty darn good for the most part when picking win totals in college football and USC over seven and a half. Give me that all day, every day of the week. Why? Well, here's the thing. USC is a better team than their win total actually indicates. The reason that their win total is that low, I think this is a not even sneaky, like can USC sneak up on anybody? Can Lincoln Riley sneak up on anybody? This is a team that can contend for a big 10 championship in 2024. Why? Because they have finally made tangible improvements that I'm a big fan of on the defensive side of the football. There is never in my mind ever going to be a question about Lincoln Riley's ability to score points. You know why? Because I've got several years of head coaching data to reflect the fact that he's going to be able to score a lot of points, no matter what conference he is in, no matter what schedule he's playing, no matter what players he's got, He's going to be able to put up points. The question is, can they get stops? And I'm sure USC fans are tired of hearing this generalized notion and this question about USC's defense. Well, it's been a problem the last couple of years, and they have made real progress on that front. They hired DeAnton Lynn, who was the defensive coordinator at UCLA. This could not be a more perfect fit for USC's defensive coordinator position. He's got experience in Los Angeles, and he was just working for a head coach in Chip Kelly, who is a lot like Lincoln Riley, offensively driven, calls plays, does not pay attention to the other side of the ball. Now, Lincoln Riley has spoken publicly about a rethinking of his football philosophy and whatnot. You can't change who you are, right? I think that's largely projection for fans, alumni, and boosters who are looking at the team and going, why is the defense again not any good for a second year in a row? Why was that the problem, which it absolutely was? Well, bring in a guy who just coordinated the best statistical defense in the Pac 12 a season ago, of which there were some really good ones. Oregon had a great defense. Utah's always got a great defense. Oregon State was good on that side of the ball. Their defensive coordinator that year, Trent Bray, is now their head coach. This is a USC team that is going to be improved on that side of the ball. So if you have any doubts, about usc where are they going to start well can they play any defense well they're yeah they're going to be better because they were a mess with how they were coached they were a mess with how they were schemed they were a mess with how they were play called in 2023 and 2022 none of it was good none of it and DeAnton lynn can come in and change that he's not going to be working with a completely bare cupboard either he is bringing in transfer portal players that will make usc a better team defensively They have more talent on that side of the ball than the numbers would reflect. They just aren't coached very well. The number of times watching USC last year, I saw players communicating at the last second before the snap or saying, Hey, I need help. Or, Hey, what are we doing? Or what is this? It was astonishing. It happened every single week. You didn't see that very often with, with their crosstown rival who beat them in the Coliseum last year. I did not expect that to happen. And yet it did. Largely because Tanton Lynn is a really good defensive coordinator. So he takes the reins and he brings in guys like Kamari Ramsey at safety or Easton Mascarenas Arnold, an all-conference caliber player at linebacker from Oregon State. You look at the composite talent on this USC defense, it's not last in the Big Ten, not even close to it. So, the reason their win total is just seven and a half when the contenders in the conference are nine and a half or ten and a half, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oregon, according to our friends at FanDuel, is because their schedule is absolutely positively brutal. It's brutal. It is. But over seven and a half wins. I might like this even more than I loved Colorado over four and a half. That line, by the way, has since jumped to five and a half. I still think Colorado is a bowl team in 2024, especially given their schedule. But here's how it starts for USC. This is tricky. This is absolutely tricky. I'm not going to sit here and try and tell you that, well, it's just an easy schedule. No, it's hard. It's, it's hard. They open against LSU at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Neutral site game. Boy, is that going to be any fun? I might even be there because I live not too far away. Then they host Utah State, then they have a bye, then they go at Michigan. It could be a one and two start. It, It could absolutely be a one and two start. And if USC starts one and two, don't be surprised when they come back and end the year nine and three and push for a college football playoff spot. Because if they lose both those games against LSU neutral site and at Michigan at the big House. Michigan is a big time pullback team. I mean, if Alex Orgy is your starting quarterback, at, I'll take Miller Moss and Lincoln Riley over Alex Orgy and Sharon Moore, though I think Sharon Moore could be a good coach. He's got a tall task ahead of him. They got a lot of pieces to replace. So then USC hosts Wisconsin. They go at Minnesota. They host Penn State, at Maryland, hosting Rutgers, at Washington, who's also a pullback team from what they were a season ago. On paper, you could look at their schedule and say, well, oh, they play the two teams that were in the national championship game last year. And <laughs> lots of things change in the off-seasons nowadays in college football. No more, nowhere is that more true than those two schools, especially Washington. I think USC will be favored going into Washington, by the way. Then they host Nebraska. That could be a sneaky, tough game. They're, they, they've got them off a of bye though. Cornhuskers at Memorial Coliseum off a of bye before they go at UCLA and then host Notre Dame. So. This is a schedule that does not include an FCS game. Most other college football schedules do, but USC for whatever reason has got a group of five game against Utah state, a built in non-conference rivalry with Notre Dame, who's, you know, a big 10 or ACC caliber team and they play LSU. So they're not trying to load up wins. They're trying to load up with quality games and high level opponents. But if you look at their four toughest games, LSU at Michigan, hosting Penn State, and hosting Notre Dame. Only one of those games is on the road. And two of them are at home. And if USC loses every single one of those games, all four, all four, they can still go over seven and a half wins. That would, of course, require them to be perfect on the rest of their schedule. But here's the thing. I think they're capable of being perfect on the rest of their schedule. And I don't think they're going 0-4 in those games. They're winning at at least one of those games. Probably two. Penn State, cross country, that's a long trip. Now, they've had success in the Rose Bowl before, so it's not as if they're unfamiliar with traveling out west. But Wisconsin, their trips to the Rose Bowl haven't always been quite as fruitful. I know it's a different team, different era and such, but those are long trips to make. Those are long trips to make. And this road schedule in conference play, Minnesota, Maryland, Washington, UCLA, that's just not that bad. That is just not that bad at all. Dare I say, it is incredibly favorable. So USC is at least, at least an eight win team in 2024. And I think they are more than capable of being a nine or 10 win team. So that, that fan total, that, that fan duel win total, seven and a half. Give me the over for the Trojans. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.